Hello, and welcome to Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. I'm your host, Inman Narwin, and I use they-them pronouns. Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness is a collectively-run publisher dedicated to producing and curating inclusive and intersectional culture informed by anarchistic ideals. We publish fiction, poetry, memoir, nonfiction. I would really love for people to submit some theater pieces, comics, books, pop culture analysis, recipe books, music, history, and other podcasts. We are looking for stories that don't know where they fit in, for people that don't know where they fit in. On this podcast, we have audio versions of our monthly featured zine, read by a brilliant voice actor, along with interviews with the author. We also make these really cool little quarter-sized zines of the monthly feature, which you can get mailed to you along anywhere in the world if you sign up for our Zine of the Month Club on our Patreon. Our Patreon helps make things like this podcast possible, as well as supporting other podcasts we put out. Are you into preparedness or just trying to figure out how to survive in a collapsing society? Check out Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times, hosted by our own Margaret Killjoy. Are you yourself a writer of zines? We're always taking submissions for our monthly feature in this podcast. So if you'd like to submit a piece that you think would find a nice home with us, visit tangledwilderness.org for our submission guidelines. This month, we have a special sneak peek into our first book that we're publishing as the new incarnation of Strangers, a wonderful book by Cindy Barack Milstein called Try Anarchism for Life. For the feature itself, we have the prologue to the book, which you will hear presently read by our dear friend, B. Flowers. And then me and Cindy sit down and talk about the book, why you might consider trying anarchism, and the importance of storytelling. We really hope you enjoy the interview and hearing the prologue. It's been a true delight to work with Milstein and the dozens of artists that contributed to the book. Try Anarchism for Life is a lyrical foray into dissecting what anarchism is and what it can do for us, the world we live in, and hopefully the worlds soon to emerge. Try Anarchism for Life. Prologue by Cindy Baruch Milstein. Published by Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. Narrated by Bee Flowers. This book started as a walk. In hindsight, that seems fitting. As you'll find when you wander through these pages with me, anarchism is a journey. It is the process of continually striving toward that place called freedom, vigilantly yet valiantly, by acting as if we're already there, and perpetually widening our understandings of what that destination could and should look like. Which is to say, it's a hard road that demands much of us and always will. What too often gets lost, though, is the abundance of beauty along the way. We make countless paths toward utopia not by reaching some illusory endpoint where all is static perfection. Rather, anarchism is what happens when we steadfastly venture forth, accompanying each other side by side with collective care through perils and potholes, as well as stunning vistas and way stations of possibilities. That means trying anarchism for life. Anarchism, of course, has as many poetic definitions as there are anarchists, which in itself gets at some of its expansive description. 
For anarchism's fundamental antagonism to all forms of power over, even the power over circumscribing the term, and exuberant openness to self-determination mean that the word must stay dynamic, able to flexibly embrace all sorts of liberatory ethics and practices. It can no more be contained than can all the innumerable ways that humans and the non-human world engage routinely in forms of mutual aid to not only survive, but also thrive. Anarchism is a persistent yearning for and rebellious unfolding toward forms of freedom, which will always be, you guessed it, a journey. So what Try Anarchism for Life revolves around is, in essence, a thought experiment. What are some of the many beautiful dimensions of anarchism? In response, this book plays on the double meaning bundled in for life. My not-so-secret agenda here is equally double-edged. I want to heartily encourage you, dear reader, to become and then stay an anarchist for the rest of your life, warmly stretching out your hands to generations of rebels past and future. At the same time, I want you to do so in service of, and with love for, dignified, bountiful, and livable lives for all, in stark contrast to the cold and calculating death machines we're up against on a daily basis. Indeed, I'd assert that being for life is a sacred obligation if we take seriously the inherent worth of all beings, our shared ecosystems, and this planet, our one and only home. Being for life binds us to do good for and with each other by humbly yet doggedly aspiring toward and cultivating ever greater forms of wholeness, of messy beauty, in the here and now. Hence the emphasis on try, meaning imaginative experimentation, meaning to strive for wins such as upsurges of social solidarity, time spaces of self-governance, and all other ephemeral yet joyous moments of everyday anarchism, meaning always, as both duty and pleasure, as and for life, to try, try, try again. But I've strayed a bit from the walk that led me to this book. For those of you who follow my frequent derives via my Instagrammed picture prose of what I see, this isn't a surprise. I stroll not to get to the somewhere of, say, capitalism or the state. I ramble at cross-purposes with the world as it is, thereby freeing up my mind and heart to notice all the cracks in the pavement, and what's already blossoming in them. That, in turn, is generative of all sorts of flights of fancy about the world that could be, particularly if we build on actually existing forms of anarchistic praxis. Many times, thanks perhaps to some of you, my good troublemaking readers, I stumble on and take photos of street art, and then borrow that image as muse for the words in my posts. One fine day, on one fine aimless walk, I saw my umpteenth Circle A spray-painted across a wall. Like pretty much all the others, it looked hastily done, with little eye for aesthetics. I snapped a photo, because no matter how scrappily scrawled, seeing a Circle A feels like running into an old friend. Yet for some reason, this time it got me thinking about why I'd rarely, if ever, seen a beautiful Circle A tagged illicitly across the stolen landscape. Nor, for that matter, why I'd rarely seen any street art that portrays the kinds of beautiful social relations and social organization anarchism actually conceives of and or already models. All cops are bad, yes, but what tangibly makes for autonomous communities are beautiful? Why is it so difficult for anarchists to depict what we are for, what we desire, and in ways that resonate visually and verbally 
with people who see a Circle A sticker on a lamppost or stencil on a sidewalk and either have no idea what it means or only pejorative caricatures in their head. And so began the second step of this book's travels. That evening's picture pros on my Instagram offered up a game, or what might be better labeled a friendly anarchist challenge. I asked folks to illustrate the beauty of what anarchism means to them by weaving their vision directly into a circle A, then sharing the artwork with me, and I'd then share it on my social media. Slowly but surely, and eagerly, anarchists sent me their creations. But many of them got stuck on sketching what we're against, with drawings of things being smashed, set on fire, or otherwise turned to rubble. I marveled again at how tough it is, even for us anarchists who can imagine worlds without police or prisons, communities without colonialism or commodification, to artfully and accessibly express our aspirations. This tendency to lean into critique is partly a product of this era, in which so many horizons have shrunk or disappeared, including that of a future, at least for us human beings. Apocalypse is far more imaginable now than the other possible worlds proclaimed by movements a mere 20 years ago, with each morning bringing fresh new disasters and more to rage against. We are keenly aware of the toll that these myriad catastrophes take and at whose doorstep the systemic fault lies. Yet in a time when fascistic inclinations have more attraction and influence than anarchist ones, all that gets largely erased by conspiracy theories and false news. It's no wonder, then, that we feel an extra sense of responsibility to point out all that's so deeply, horribly, murderously wrong, including because we too are reeling from the collective traumas and immense losses ripping the globe apart. Sadly, that's pushed anarchism into a more reactive corner, or almost a standstill, where we seem to invisibilize our greatest strength, all the proactive ways that we already shape and participate in life-giving alternatives. Meanwhile, those on the far right have been busily shaping and participating in their own alternatives, especially by providing people with tangible communities of care, albeit ones that care for select few types of bodies and hate all of ours, to a genocidal degree. What these white Christian patriarchal supremacists and their allies know, and we anarchists seem to have forgotten, is that supplying what people need and desire, or at least telling them powerful stories about being able to do that, actually does draw folks to your side. And fascistic forces are, in particular, exceptionally good storytellers and propagandists, even if their tales repel us. They understand the power of symbols to win hearts and minds, and in their case, foot soldiers. For people won't give up what they have, even if it's miserable, unless they are moved by narratives that make them think it's worth the gamble. Why is it so hard for us to paint gorgeous pictures of anarchism? To show glimpses, vibrant and varied, of the many ways we create spaces in which people feel more alive and whole than ever before? Do we think it's somehow self-evident, without having to actually make it clear that such do-it-ourselves beauty takes voluntary work? Even if, or particularly if, there truly is no future for our species, we anarchists are, after all, busy making whatever time we have left as good as possible, and for as many as possible. So why do we find it so difficult to portray this to others? Do we not have enough faith or trust in our own visions, or what we put into motion? 
Are we too weary and dispirited, too cruel or too scared? Do we take security culture too far, masking all the good we do? Is it a lack of ingenuity, or because we're also so broken by the social order that we can't think outside its box? Why, by and large, have we anarchists lost the art of storytelling? Our anarchist ancestors, or at least far more of them, used to be so much better at finding a balance between the urge to critique and destroy and the urge to be visionary and create, which I'd contend is what makes most anarchism so otherworldly marvelous. They conjured up fantastic panoramas of potentialities, lavishly articulated in everything from their manifestos, artworks, books, newspapers, and soapbox speeches, to theatrical productions, dances and music, humor, inventive ways of living, and celebratory gatherings, among many other examples. They captured the popular imagination and sparked larger, bolder, more solidaristic movements by freely handing people a compass. They aided them in discovering not merely the absences, whether of states or bosses, but also the presence of already existent lifeways that they believed could take the place of hierarchy and domination, even when they felt disillusioned or exhausted, frightened or hurt. When I walk, I imagine that they are walking alongside me in their well-worn shoes. Ah, but I've taken a detour again. Let me circle back to my Instagram prompt. Like all good cooperative games, I took myself up on my own challenge. I decided to stroll off social media and jump headlong into this book as journey, pushing anarchic artists and myself to unequivocally illuminate that anarchism is in fact remarkably beautiful. First, I put out a call for artwork and was overwhelmed with the number that I received, all of them fabulous. Still, I had to narrow down the amount to make for a doable book, and in part picked ones that felt like they'd be good muses for what I wanted to say in these essays. While I definitely riffed off the circle A's, I realized that ultimately all the words and ideas would be my own. So I asked each artsy anarchist to give me one sentence about the impulse behind their creation. You'll find those, with short bios for each person, below their piece. As with most of my meanderings, especially during an interminable pandemic, the route became ever more circuitous and rocky, and I wasn't sure I could finish this project. But a strange thing happened along the way. The more I immersed myself in trying to craft the prose herein, the more I stopped seeing the present only in the negative. I was able to see anew our contemporary anarchistic successes, if indeed life is our measure. For a funny thing occurs when we nudge ourselves to spell out the goodness within anarchism. We can't help but be revived and, dare I say, believe in our collective selves. It's no exaggeration to say that in this time of widespread abandonment, we anarchists refuse to leave people's sides. We leap into the fray armed with a diversity of tactics and self-organized first aid kits overflowing with communal care, mutual aid, and fierce love to tend any and all wounded by this world, including each other and the earth. Time and again, we demonstrate through our actions, large and small, that all is not lost, that whole other ways of being and living are already here. The book you now hold in your hands is intended to inspire and delight you, my companionable readers with picture prose ranging from the playful and sweet to the magical realist and dreamy transportive. It aims to encourage those of us who are anarchists to notice and expand on our prefigurative practices, 
especially against the backdrop of a period when so much feels impossible. Yet it's also geared to be fun, friendly, and inviting for a biological as well as chosen family and friends who don't quite get, yet, why you are an anarchist. Or those many people who are curious about or new to anarchism. Or all those many others who are already doing anarchism without knowing there's a name for it. And it's meant to counter the too enduring allure of authoritarian communist, social democratic, and liberal sensibilities with the appeal and relevance of anarchism. Mostly, it's a gift to, I hope, warm your ailing heart and offer tender succor with my love. Try Anarchism for Life is, however, a never-ending effort. I encourage you to continue the game long after you've ambled through the pages of this book. Make enlarged photocopies of your favorite circle A's here, for instance, and cut stencils from them in order to redecorate your city. Better yet, create your own beautiful circle A's and put them to good use, whether to bedeck t-shirts or bedazzle walls. Or apply your anarchist art, from the arts of printing and writing, to those of educating, agitating, and organizing, to putting the beauty of anarchism into the world for all to see, even and especially amid all the loss, trauma, and sorrow of these days. It's up to us, with like-minded heretics, misfits, and other queerly beautiful accomplices, to realize the impossibly beautiful, and smack dab in the middle of the many paths that we're transversing together now. For if we don't keep the beautiful ideas of liberation and freedom alive, who will? Welcome to the podcast. Um, would you like to introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Yeah. Hi. First of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, my name is uh, Cindy Baruch Milstein, and any or all of those uh, names are fine with me. Um, and I use they, but I try to lean toward being a whole person in which gender actually makes no sense, which it often doesn't to me. Um, and I don't know, I'm diasporic, queer, Jewish anarchist, and just hopefully um, uh, trying to be a, as good a person as I can in this world. And what I do broadly, I guess, is uh, done a lot of organizing against all the stuff we hate, like fascists, cops, prisons, evictions, state repression, yada, yada. <laughs> and um, mostly, I also try to focus on... Um, all sorts of prefigurative organizing or experimenting with the things we want the world to look like and the ways we want to be in the world um, and do that in collective ways um, that involve like hopefully deep forms of solidarity and collective care and mutual aid. And for me, a lot of that prefigurative space making is about space making. <laughs> that prefigurative organizing is about making spaces that kind of allow us to try to be the people and the communities and world we want. And some of those spaces are physical, some emotional are around grief and care, um, others relate to ritual, and also books, um, which is what we're here to talk about on the podcast. So, and yeah, right now in this world, I'm just, I feel like the last, especially two, three years, I'm just trying especially hard to be there for friends and 
folks who hopefully will become friends um, when people are really going through tough times because more than ever, really think we really are all we have. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on to talk about this stuff. Um, I have a, I have a question that is maybe like a, a little funny, but it's just a word that I haven't heard before. Um, what, what does prefigurative mean? Yeah, I should try to use a different word. <laughs> um, to, in a way, it, it like pre before something. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I'll probably bring this in maybe a lot for conversation, but uh, um, more and more like my, my Jewishness makes my anarchism feel so much more whole. And part of Jewishness is this idea that we're always like trying to practice the world to come, the world we want to be. To, to be, to live it, you know, the, the um, yeah, whatever kind of aspirations that, that that is made up of as within our queer, anarchist, feministic uh, sensibilities. And so, yeah, prefiguring is not waiting until some distant, supposedly perfect world, which we will never reach, but constantly trying to figure out how to do things in the here and now the way we hope they would be <laughs> um, and to me to me i guess i think of it as sort of the highest form of direct action in a certain way or highest maybe that's not a good word um the like most beautiful most qualitative most anarchistic form of direct action is we directly act in the ways we want now um as much as we can and you know try to sort of push out spaces and practices and relationships in the here and now um, and not yeah. And hopefully, you know, I really, I just really, truly believe that people respond to that. You know, people feel the difference. We feel the difference and we begin to become different in more anarchistic ways by, you know, playing around with the world we want in the here and now. So, yeah. <laughs> and prefigure, I guess, figurative is like something like, maybe it's a bad word. So I'm just trying to think of some other, it's not modeling, maybe experimenting with, you know, but living, I don't know, to come back to Judaism again, I think I'm just more and more taken with how anarchism doesn't spend, does try to prefigure spaces, but within Judaism, the way I understand it as an anarchist is like, for instance, once a week, we do 25 hours of Shabbat. And the whole point of Shabbat is to try to remove yourself from the world of like work and the mundane and all the things you don't want to do and focus on communal you know, things like eating together and being together and studying together and talking together and walking together, you know, having all these ways in which we practice what the world, we would want the world to be because we're not good at it. <laughs> so prefiguring also means like trying again and again and again to like understand what that would be. Yeah, great, great. So thank you so much for that very like thorough explanation of that um it's funny to like hear concepts that you don't have that are like very familiar to you but that you don't have like words that you associate with them um like every like everything you said I'm like oh yeah of course yeah of course like that thing that thing like um but I but having like like no like a like vocabulary around like there being like a concept of it because it's just something that feels like it so inherent to the spaces that um that I occupy as like an anarchist or like organizer or like anything like that yeah no that's true maybe we don't need a word it's just it's just life I mean more and more I'm just using life because 
most of the world we're fighting against is trying to kill us in one way or another, you know, kill us and the world and the land and everything else. And so maybe it's just life, the space where you feel life, you know, but, but yeah, but I think it's also this, I think I, maybe I use it also to kind of against the, this kind of, you know, like overly romanticized notion that there's just going to be this revolutionary moment or like ups, uprising or some moment where suddenly, you know, all the police cars will be overturned and set on fire and there'll be this new world, you know, will emerge from the ruins. And yes, yes, of course, like things emerge from the ruins of this world. There's no other place they could emerge from, you know, they have to emerge from what's in the here and now, but I don't think there's, you know, to have this idea of there's going to be sort of one moment really sets us up. Yeah. For heart, heartache and failure. And yeah. And so really thinking about, okay, how do we, I just think thinking really taking seriously as an anarchist, like how everything we do is trying to actually show how things could and should be to, mm-hmm. to my mind really transforms how I experience like every moment of life <laughs> and, and hope other people do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm having this like kind of strange um, connection to revelation right now with them. Um, uh, so, so I grew up, I grew up Catholic and I know uh-huh. that, I know that there's like really wonderfully anarchistic versions of Catholicism out there, um, which, which is not what I grew up with. It's like very much this, like uh, the world is going to end and that's what everyone's just kind of like waiting around for. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like sense. Um, and then like things will be better. Um, and I've never really made that connection with like how, how like some spaces that I've been in like do think about like anarchist organizing like in those ways as well and it it was just like a weird little interesting connection in my head where I'm like oh yeah like I don't like that I don't like that kind of mentality of like waiting for (laughs) this like thing that's like never gonna happen um yeah Yeah. and no I think that's really really profound I mean like we I don't know more and more I'm trying to use like we're facing white Christian supremacy and or Christian fascism, they're naming it themselves, you know, and that there's, there is something distinct about that. Like, you know, 1492 moment is a, as a, as an imaginary, but also in terms of like materially transforming the world, uh, not all Catholics are bad, but Catholicism is an institution and, you know, Christianity has imposed a way of thinking about, you know, calendars and time and um, gender and, basically tried to make everything conform around it. And so it's so deeply entrenched in our thinking that I, for, for more of us to like de-assimilate from that and like decolonize in, through our own traditions is really important because in a lot of our traditions, we find far more like rebellious and different understandings. Um, so I don't think that's accidental, you know, like anarchism, can pretend it's like no gods, no masters. And yet, of course, we're, we grew up in a society that's so deeply shaped by, you know, a white Christian, you know, hegemony um, that it, it does shape. Yeah, it shapes our thinking about where sort of, you know, utopia happens or where the beautiful world happens or whatever. And, you know, and you come in like within Judaism. I mean, you can have all sorts of forms of horror for Judaism. So I don't want to romanticize Judaism either, but fundamental to a lot of visions of it is that we're like continually journeying toward liberation and the only way to get there is to constantly practice it. And the way you practice it sort of in a diasporic sense, because mostly Judaism has been practiced in diasporic um, frameworks is um, 
which which to me means being scattered, but also scattering seeds is what it means. And so how do we how do we practice in the here and now? Because that's all we have. We don't have some other, you know, we're not looking in this, in this, in the cosmology of <laughs> cosmology. We're not looking for like some afterlife where things will be better. We're looking in the here and now. I mean, which other traditions do too. It's not just, you know, but you're so right with like Catholicism. There's sort of this really, especially from the hierarchical, like papal state and everything, you know, other <laughs> the, the hierarchy is this idea that you, you know, you couldn't suffer in this world for some better reward later, you know, and in a way I think anarchism, you know, for it broadly, broadly, broadly sweeping has kind of for much of its history sort of taken that on, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 not completely because there's been all sorts of other strains of anarchism that happened, but um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> long, long divergence, but I think it's really, I think especially this moment, it's super crucial for us to interrogate. Yeah. What, how, how our brains, what was sort of you and I wanted to get to in this podcast, how our brains take up the stories we've been told for centuries. Mm-hmm. And we forget that there are other stories, including in our own sort of ancestral, you know, legacies, both, you know, biological and to me, ancestral legacies are also chosen. So um, wh- which, which stories do we choose and which do we follow makes a huge difference in how we act in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I love this kind of divergence that we went on. I love that this conversation got immediately um, <laughs> like really into it. Um, but just to kind of back up for one moment and connect that. Um, um, so we, we just listened to the, the foreword for your new book um, that will be coming out uh, pretty, pretty soon. And um, what, I, I, I know in the foreword, you kind of tell us exactly what you're trying to get to um, in the rest of the book, but, um, maybe in like your own or more of your own words, um, like what, what kind of stories are you trying to tell in trianarchism for life or what is, what is kind of the concept of the, of the book for those who, um, for those who don't know yet? Yeah. Um, first I want to just thank strangers in a tangled wilderness for taking on this book project and, um, including it being the first book project. So we're all joyously learning together <laughs> and reading <laughs> together. Um, and yeah, I've also super appreciated just the, the warmth and collaboration and um, feministic queer sensibilities that have been brought to the project behind the scenes, which I hope will people will feel when they, they hold the book in their hands. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. It, I mean, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember what I said in the forward, so I don't repeat myself. So the risk of repeating myself. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think more and more, like maybe it's also you, you finish something and then you go backward and go, huh, I didn't know I meant to do that. Um, I really want us as anarchists to start telling our own stories in, in far greater, richer, non-capitalist, richer, <laughs> greater ways um, of, like expanding on the stories we tell um, to each other. And um, I think we end up inadvertently, you know, again, like it's also hard to not let things like technology or the way publishing is happening or idea dissemination is happening right now, not to let us let that sort of end up um, controlling or disciplining us. And how can we begin to like, self-determine how we want to tell our own stories and including using technologies. I don't, you know. <laughs> and so 
Yeah, I, I think I didn't say this in the forward, but um, years ago, a friend of mine was like, oh, you should use Instagram. You love to take pictures when you walk and you like writing little things and, and everything has to be in a square at one point they mentioned. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to like get my brain to start thinking like a box, which is all I could understand Instagram to be. And so then how did like for me transforming, like, what does it mean to think, to create images in a square, which this whole book has circle A's, but they all are in the same size square, whether you see it visually with the outline or it is implied by the circles, um, white space around it. And to think in the box, to think outside of it, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I'm like, even if we're using all sorts of like different forms of media right now, how do we use that to tell different stories and not just kind of fall back on like, you know, again, to use an image of like a police car, you know, on fire or being smashed or flowers growing out of it, all these other images that anarchists love to create, which are beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I love those, <laughs> you know, to imagine, to imagine symbolically, the end to a police car, which is not just a symbolic thing, that sirens, the actual car, the, the police officers inside it who show up and murder people, like those images embody violence and death and, you know, structural violence and death and um, murder with impunity. They, they're not just images, they're embodying a whole, you know, cry against a structure that kills. And but it's so hard for us to think about like, okay, wh why is it, I, I just keep coming back to like, why do we not tell stories about what the world would look like if we don't have police or how we do that in the here and now without trying to call the police or, you know, how, and more and more that's happening. I don't want to diminish that. Like the, since the George Floyd uprising, I've, it's been really striking to me the huge opening for storytelling that's gone on, both stories of pain and grief and loss, which need to be told to honor the dead and mm -hmm. to get our rage out and to, to share to share the pain because storytelling actually is a way, I don't want to say healing because it doesn't heal. It doesn't heal, but it helps us make a little bit more sense of it and lighten the burden and somehow feel a collective strength around us. Maybe, you know, that makes us feel able to better hold something that we'll never be able to integrate or accept. Um, but also storytelling about like, okay, what would abolitionist futures look like? Or what, what does it look like now in all sorts of communities around the world, whether it's like, you know, um, spaces that don't allow cops in universities or um, autonomous regions or neighborhoods or all sorts of other ways where people are, are not calling the police, but they're doing something when people have conflicts or people have, you know, disagreements or, people hurt each other. And so telling those stories, again, isn't just an act of like wishful thinking. It reminds us that these things are happening here and now, and people can share their own experiences and what sort of worked and didn't work or the messiness of it, the beauty of it. So to come back to this book, I just, I really like, I don't know. It's, I mean, I've now read my own writing in that book, like dozens of times because you have to, when you edit and proofread and et cetera, a book, you read it many, many times until you'll never want to read it again. And, but, but I don't know. It's like, it was such an interesting experiment for me too. It's like this moment is so horrifying. It, you know, it's, it's not a contest with other moments in human history, but just the existential. Yeah. The, existential violence we're facing, you know, the 
the loss of our species, the loss of like ecosystem, the, you know, mass loss due to like, what capitalism and militarism and is doing to the climate and fascism and go on and on. It's just, it's, it's like so much more than our little meager bodies can bear you know, <laughs> on a daily basis. And so this book for me was this interesting, like mental health or wellness activity. And I just want to talk about the power of storytelling in that way too. Again, you like for me doing it, I just realized, wow, I'm helping my body and my mind and my heart to remember that the story isn't just a story of despair and <laughs> collapse and apocalypse and horror and violence and fear and all the other things that a lot of us are experiencing um, and can feel this other way, which actually does then transform my practice and being able to see like cracks and possibilities and things in the here and now to come back to the things, things we can try to push out to prefigure in better ways. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope, I hope the stories end up inspiring other people to sit around campfires and dinner tables and, and <laughs> rate, make, make media, make stories, or just tell each other orally stories. Like that's been the bulk of how humans have passed along their wisdom and their, their care and their communalness and their, you know, keeping each other going, um, inspiring each other is, is storytelling. And so I'm just kind of rambling about the power of storytelling, but I just really believe, I, I, I really, really believe storytelling's profound. And maybe to come back to what you said again, like that, you know, the story that, you know, has, has been told since 1492 by those who have become dominant has been increasingly narrowed and flattened and homogenized. And it's been a story of domination and hierarchy and a very narrow view, especially in the last hundred years, that story has collapsed so much with all the mass murder that happened under, whether it's under the name of like fascism or Bolshevism or Maoism or, you know, (laughs) capitalism or statism. The last hundred years have just been like an incredible, like horror prelude up to the, like, the kind of horror we're seeing now. And it's like the story that gets told that, up, that upholds that has to be challenged right? and has to be undone. And, I, you know, a friend of mine said, you know, the, what's brilliant about um, Trump, because he, whether he's brilliant or not is not the question, but like all good fascists that gain power and charisma, they're good storytellers. And their storytellers may seem, their stories may seem absurd to us and awful and deadly. <laughs> um, but they capture the imagination. And, you know, Trump started telling stories, just use him. He wasn't, he didn't create fascism. He didn't create what's going on, white Christians and fascism right now. Um, but he's um, one good storyteller among many others now um, who tell stories of conspiracy theories that are, you know, anti-Black and anti-Semitic and anti-trans. And, and those stories have now been so picked up that they're killing a lot of us. And they're going to probably kill more of us. And so why do we need to tell stories? Because we need to make sure fewer of us die and fewer of us suffer. And more people feel like there's other ways to live and other stories to come to. And I think as anarchists, we're often really bad at, we're like, you know, it's great to show. I love all the images, stories we tell of uprisings, you know, the kind of moment where people are like, you know, setting, setting things on fire again, whether it's police stations or cop cars or, you know, battling the cops and everything. But we don't tell stories as much about all the folks who are handing out, you know, bandages and food and care and hugs during those moments or are doing the aftercare in those moments 
or are cooking meals for people or all the other things we do that actually make those moments possible before, mm-hmm. during, and after, and actually to mirror the bulk of anarchism, <laughs> um, all, all the ways we create, you know, yeah, forms of life to come back to that again. And so the more we tell those stories, the more people believe and the more they go, hey, I do that. And hey, actually, that's what feels better to me. And that's what, you know, um, so I'll just kind of end on this. I think part of what I was inspired with this book was now that I think backward on it is from a different book I did, which was um, actually two. Um, I did a book called Taking Sides, which came out of like the Ferguson uprising in the Bay Area, which I was part of. And um, people were on the streets just telling each other stories about, you know, <laughs> all, all the time. And also on the walls, we were telling each other stories and through art. And and then people were acting in like ridiculous non ways of solidarity with each other. And so I and some other folks just started handing up tens of thousands of zines and those stories, people kept coming back to us a day or two later and they go, Oh my God, this story changed how I think about solidarity. And then they started acting differently in the street, like not pointing people out to the cops that they've been doing before, for instance. And so that book came out of storytelling and putting stories together. There were a bunch of zines knit together and other stories like that. And then people have used that book in front of police stations during uprisings when people are surrounding it to not let the police do their <laughs> awful jobs. And they sat down and they read those stories to tell each other other stories. And that really struck me. It's like, what, you know, the, the dialogue, like, fine, what, what, what good are books really? They're, you know, they can just become a commodity, but to my mind, they're like only as good as they're used as a, a weapon, <laughs> you know, for, for both um, against what we don't like and also a weapon for what we want. And, and the other one was a the I did was something called Rebellious Morning, which is a stories of beautifully written stories. Like the writers in there are just phenomenal. And um and their stories about you know lost grief and resistance. But I think I did prior to the pandemic days when we used to wander around a lot and do events, I think I ended up doing like about 150 or something different grief circles and just opened up space for people in all sorts of different communities to tell their stories about loss, grief, and resistance. And I, so many of them were just remarkable and memorable and beautiful and vulnerable. And almost in every case, people told stories to each other about some major forms of loss that were going on in their community. And almost always people said, wow, we've never actually talked about this together. Mm-hmm. And afterward, people were like, wow, this has made such a difference in what we feel we can do now and what's possible in our connections to each other. And it wasn't me. <laughs> it was it was this people telling each other stories. So, yeah, I'm just really struck by the power of it to transform us so we can begin to better transform the world. Yeah, yeah, their story, stories are, it, it's, it sounds so redundant to say like stories are important or storytelling is important. Um, but um, just to, just to, plug a funny thing about uh strangers um this uh, publishing collective that i've what drew me into the collective and what also like kind of drew me into uh your book is how is the importance of storytelling um and i like i i grew up in a context of like a a heavy theory context of learning about Mm -hmm. anarchism um and it's something that like, it's something that I struggled with because everyone around me was very, very obsessed with, with theory and very obsessed with these like really 
like, you know, good concepts, but the way everything was written was just like so dense that I, I couldn't really relate to it very well. And the things that I always kind of gravitated towards more than like really like dense uh, intellectual theory was, um, were, were stories that people had like that kind of related the same concepts, um, but through, through more, more of a story concept. That's something that I really loved about your book was that it was the, it, it does have all of these elements of like talking about like these like theoretical concepts or like how to work together in the world, but that it is still this kind of like lyrical story um, that feels a lot more relatable and approachable than like, than, than a lot of like more like intellectual theory out there. I think, that, you know, I think in a way, like I feel the same, I've heard a lot of theory and, and read these days I'm reading speculative and visionary fiction because I'm, yeah, the, like us thinking about what world building means right now when the world is falling apart feels really crucial. I don't know. I've just been really more struck over time as like, you know, part of, part of the domination of our minds has been that theory only resides in like an institution people have to pay 60,000 a year for and then get in debt for and then ask a government to relieve their debt. You know, and I'm yeah. sure that intellectuals are people that have a PhD after their name or all this other thing, you know, and so who feels like they can tell stories has been so circumscribed and limited, which is why the stories don't even tell the stories of what's actually happening in the world most of the time. <laughs> even the theory is so removed from, like, I don't even think you can, like one of the people that really brought me into anarchism and was a good mentor and friend and inspiration and culturally I understood because also Jewish anarchist is Mary Bookchin, who's a phenomenal storyteller, you know, and um, would sit around for hours and weave these incredible stories, bringing in theory and ideas, but always, always on the ground practice and, you know, didn't grad, I think graduated from high school, but didn't go to, you know, wasn't college, was just like really influenced me as like, you know, anarchists, thinkers of the street, you know, militant intellectuals, you know, <laughs> um, people that can do this without, and it's the people that are doing this that are the people that are creating and making the theory, you know, and I've been really influenced by the Zapatistas writing, some of the most, to me, the most beautiful writing that is also theory mm -hmm. and is so accessible and so beautiful and poetic and magical all in one. And so, to, to me, part of storytelling is also like shattering my own mind, like trying to get my mind to open up in a way to understand like where is, where do we think theory is really being made and happening? And I, so in this book, like it was, it was a, kind of a game for me. I was like, oh, I, all these pieces are really short. I think maybe the longest one is like 800 words or something. And I just wanted to be like, make really tight compact stories that have a lot in there and mm -hmm. I spent a ridiculous amount of time like playing with every single word so there's little teeny like jokes or playfulnesses or references to larger anarchist history or theory in a word or two that I hope people get when they're reading it but for me it was just fun to how can you pack that in but I don't know I just want us to rethink what we think you know and more and more at this moment the people who are making the world you know the people who are refusing work or quitting jobs or, you know, doing, they're, they're making the theory so much faster than the theoreticians can write about it or the <laughs> academics or, you know, the rupture we're in right now, this past three, what our hearts are feeling and what we're experiencing as human beings is, is to me, 
if we tell each other stories about it, creating the theory of this time period versus waiting for someone to come up with a term for what this time period is. I don't know. I don't, it's not to denigrate theory, but I just think we've misplaced. Yeah. Who's, you know, you know, which, which stories count and which stories, you know, and I don't know, there's a, a lovely little section. I really want to go back and read it in Jane C. Scott's The Art of Not Being Governed, an anarchist anthropologist. It might even be a half chapter. This is a book has a half chapter, which I think is really funny. Um, but uh, like actually talking about one way to avoid um, being controlled and to become like a freedom seeker or not be able to control by states is to give up written writing, written, written language, <laughs> and to engage in oral language, which is totally provocative to me because I love writing. But I'm also a very verbal person. So it's like, you know, once once things are written, written down, they could become passports or, you know, gender identifiers or police reports or, you know, all these other things that control us. And how do we, how do we take written language to free ourselves? But also maybe think about storytelling far beyond the written word, you know, like, so I hope when people read the book, I feel like a lot of it sounds like I wanted it to sound like music or like talking to myself in my head, which is how I sort of wrote it. <laughs> it was like I was telling myself stories while I was writing it and I'd go for walks in between writing pieces and talk to myself about it almost or hear my hear it in my head and then come back. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> and so I don't know. How do we think about writing in a way that, you know, we illuminate different forms of like scholarly thinking that isn't, it actually defies having to get degrees and be part of universities and all the structures that are part of this dominant structure right now. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that, I think people really need like personally relatable stories and that that comes a lot through through storytelling than, than a lot of theory. It's, it's wonderful that there is, people are trying to make theory more accessible. Um, but I, I think at least like one thing that I've experienced going to kind of like larger gatherings of people where there are these kind of like ruptures of like um, people who don't know what anarchism is or don't know about even all that much about like leftist, like politics are suddenly being forced to engage with it or like view it. Um and like conversations that I've had with people at things like that is like having people be like, oh, like, well, like, I don't agree with the political aspects of this thing. So I don't agree with with you. And um, that kind of like barrier to entry of like being like theoretically aligned is is difficult, I think. And I think it's a lot easier to meet people with stories, you know, every, everyone has a story about like a boss they didn't like, or like how, (laughs) (laughs) like it, it feels, it just feels much easier to like relate to people and like, not in ways where it's like, I want to like convince people like anarchism is correct. Um, but more just about like trying to meet people where they're at and like find where you do have like alignments and like, I it's it feels very easy to do that through through stories um we're we're all going to hear about this in your book it's like the 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 thesis of the book but um why why should people try anarchism 
Yeah, it, it's funny. I like always thinking, okay, in a way, I, I say this a lot, but to me, the goal isn't to like create a world just full of anarchists or an anarchist world so much, but anarchistic. And But I always then keep coming back to some of the few time and again, the folks that like are pretty rigorously committed to, you know, rooting out all forms of hierarchy and domination and um, trying to practice the opposite tend to be anarchism, anarchists, and, or at least anarchism has been a placeholder for that. Whether that word disappears or not, fine. But for now, it, it has been a placeholder for that, uh, including some like-minded traditions that don't don't want to give themselves that same name, which is fine. Um, so, um, so maybe, yeah, to just pick up on that thing of your... The reason for storytelling too is it creates this like openness where people can see themselves in something without having to worry about whether, you know, and the label anarchist, I think I say at some point in, in this little book um, that, uh, you know, you can't, or maybe it was in the floors, <laughs> like forget what I write after I write it. Um, but uh, thinking, thinking, you know, anarchism kind of defies a definition because if it once is defined, it almost isn't anarchism anymore because it's always like this growing openness to what, what do new forms of non-hierarchy and egalitarian and liberation and freedom look like? Um, but uh, yeah, but so, but I still think there's something that anarchism brings that very few other traditions do right now, or sort of worldviews or sensibilities. I don't know how to put it. Ethics, maybe I always kind of come back to the ethics do. And I think in a way, this book, Try Anarchism for Life is, is trying to get at that is like this, you know, constellation of ways of being that involve voluntary association and voluntary disassociation with accountability in both cases, um, collective care, social solidarity, a, a super emphasis on transforming both social relationships and forms of social organization toward forms of self-organization and self-governance and, you know, also all the other selves we put with things that are always collective, all this kind of bundle of things and including like fierce forms of love that don't rely on, you know, states or capitalism and um, all the other things like that, that's, that has like a profound, pretty profound meaning, you know? And so I want like trying, it means that what does it mean to suddenly start not seeing like start to see through the lens of a world without hierarchy and domination. And what does that mean in terms of how that changes your practices? Um, yeah, I was thinking of this interview in a way like like years ago, because the run point you were you were asking me and we didn't get to it, which is fine. Like, what is my origin story of anarchy, you know, becoming an anarchist? <laughs> and, but I was thinking back to like uh, I go back again to like when I I always felt anarchistic, but then I met a bunch of anarchists that were organizing in a community and doing all sorts of cool neighborhood organizing and a community cafe and a bunch of other things and studying together. And they were studying with this person named Marie Bookshin. They're like, come join us. And it was all like, you know, totally generous and open and, you know, beautiful mix of like thinking and acting together. Um, but at that time I was like, it really, you know, I've been like, wait, why am I still living a life? That's not a life. <laughs> and so at that point I was like, Hey, how can I minimize my engagement with, like making a livelihood and not understand that is equal with my life. And um, I started doing freelance copy editing, which is what I do for money and, and, and make life in, in all the moments of my life as much as I can. And like that to me is why you want to try anarchism to like profoundly, not just 
come up with these gigantic structures that look different, but rethink everything in your life, you know, from how, how you spend your daily life, what your relationships look like with other people, how you organize, et cetera, um, how you treat people when you're, you know, upset, all these other things. And, but that also means trying. It means like experimenting again and again and again. And, and also doing it once you've decided to embrace this is to not give up when it gets hard and not give up when, you know, we come into a fascistic time period and everything starts moving toward forms of essentialism and authoritarianism. And, you know, it's, it's painting my heart to see more hammer and sickle spray painted on walls and circle A's these days. <laughs> Why is it that people, when fascism is taking hold, almost everything starts shifting in that direction. And I see strains of that, I'm not saying anarchists are becoming fascist, but I'm seeing strains of that, you know, more, yeah, essentialistic thinking, which is ultimately like underlies fascism um, within anarchism, right? And so how do we create more openness again? And partially that's through storytelling. And partially in this book, it was through me asking on social media and um, through uh, for a bunch of my friends and people I've become friends with and, and admire to like create circles that there's in this book, there's 26 drawings and there could have been a whole bunch more. Um, and I hope there are after this um, create drawings of circle A's that themselves reflect the world. People want to see um, within the art. <laughs> Cause that's a story too. <laughs> art tells stories too. And yeah. art is, is at once to me, art writing is art also. So to me, art is simultaneously trying to create a social critique and a social vision. And, you know, I think this book, does both, but it does it by offering a vision, which ultimately is in, in inherently a critique. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm kind of wandering all over the place, which is what I tend to do, um, both in, with my feet walking and in my thinking and writing and speaking. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope that people do give anarchism a try because there's very few sensibilities right now that are basically just telling us like, what if we lived life in a way that really emphasized collective care and social solidarity and love that's chosen and not about biology and gender, but about mm -hmm. being there for each other and communal life ways and anarchism, who cares about that word, you know, ultimately, I mean, even though I also feel proud to be an anarchist, um, I'm proud to be a carrier of that legacy and the tradition, the tradition of anarchists who ran around the world constantly telling stories to each other on soapboxes and in labor halls and, you know, and in, in, on, in factories and in all sorts of in fields and all sorts of other places. Anarchists have always run around talking to each other and telling stories. And, um, but I'm, I also think this moment more than anything, you know, anarchism has been there. Forget the name. These forms of lifeways have been there since the beginning of, of, of human time since the beginning of time before humans in forms of cooperation and mutual aid and taking care of each other and sociability. And it's been so increasingly crushed out of us. And, you know, it's now in a way the only, whether by name or I would say practice, because that's what's far more important to me than the word. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I try, we have to try doing this. Who cares what language we use um, is if we don't do this, we, you know, there is, there is ultimately nothing but no future at this point for humanity um, as a whole. And most of us are going to know friends and ourselves and communities are going to suffer brutally or people we don't know that we just our hearts go out to um, yeah. because the world is not trying to be anarchistic. It's trying to be fascistic. And 
Yeah, there was this thing, you know, along as in the sort of rise of fascism, there were some like libertarian socialists, which are basically kind of anarchist in um, Europe and elsewhere, um, alternate histories in Europe, alternate world building in Europe, because Europe is not a monolith either, of people saying we're at a crossroads of either socialism or barbarism. And, you know, we're at another time of like proto to almost fascism and, and far more deadly varieties of it because it's global and it's interconnected and it's is ecocidal as well as genocidal and i think it's anarchism you know versus fascism at this point and it's not an again that you have to be an anarchist to act anarchistically that's what i'm talking about anarchistically acting not you know i don't want you to try being an anarchist i want you to try anarchism <laughs> I, like i hope we're always always aspiring to be an anarchist because we're never going to be good enough to be an anarchist in this world <laughs> until we create a better one yeah. Yeah. And I like that differentiation a lot. And I think that's like between like acting anarchistically and like being an anarchist. Um, and I, I think that's something that we try to embrace um, at strangers is, is kind of like that differentiation. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it feels so important because like, uh, some, something that's been really hard for me in the last couple of years is that um, with the growing rise of fascism, um, there's a lot of really, really heavy critiques of like anarchism and the left as like being this like equally like fascistic thing, um, which is like really hard to hear about like in like in the media or like on Twitter or like whatever, um, because because it feels so untrue and I, I remember having all these moments like in the last few years where I was like like internalizing a lot of that and being like oh wait golly are we are we turning into this like authoritarian concept because that's the biggest fear that I have and I kept having to have these reminders where I was like no 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 all all I want is for people to like not impose their like how to live on other people or like and like all that fascist swan is like me and all of my queer and trans and like anarchistic friends to like be dead you know (laughs) um and that and that those things are (laughs) and that those things are very different (laughs) um but yeah yeah. i think it does come back to that storytelling again it's like there's really you know, I don't know, this morning I looked at Twitter and, you know, they're comparing like, you know, mega Republicans to anarchists. And I was like, wait, okay, wait, like, you know, but it's on powerful platforms by people who have lots of followers. And when people repeat things enough, they don't, they become ideas that actually transform the material and physical world. You know? And um, I think we, yeah, I think we don't, I guess that's like maybe coming back to storytelling you know, we should stop in a way talking about do we read theory and do we tell stories that are about wanting to change, transform the world, you know, and understand and transform the world. And right now, I think we really also need to be telling each other stories about how we've been feeling the past few years and speculate on what's been happening and have dialogues about it because none of us really know yet what's been <laughs> happening to us. You know, it's, it's we're in such a huge rupture, right? And so quickly... The fascistic forces are telling stories to make sense of this moment, you know? mm-hmm. and we're doing a far worse job of that. And 
clearly because we also don't have the means that, you know, we don't control the large scale platforms and the power structures. So I'm not saying that we're just awful at it. We're just also, you know, that's what power does, <laughs> you know, but, but we can tell each other, right? We can keep telling each other and remind ourselves that, you know, and also look at ourselves and say, hey, what is this time period due to, to what is this time period doing to us as, as anarchists or anarchistic people that has hardened our hearts or closed us off to each other or made us feel more isolated or, you know, I've, I've said this a bunch of times recently, but like, you know, the past three years being around queer and trans Jewish anarchists specifically has like literally saved my life. Mm -hmm. I also have some of my anarchist friends, like literally. <laughs> and yeah. I know that's true for other people. They can point to like very pretty narrow and circles of people who share like a lot of sensibilities with them that have saved their life. Mm -hmm. But that can't be what my politics is. I can't stop there, if that makes sense, and be like, oh, well, those are the only people that could save the you know world. Yeah. And, but there is that impulse, I think, right now within us because we're scared or hurt or grieving. And I'm, I am seeing impulses in anarchism, which just breaks my heart where people, you know, that isn't, we need those spaces to remind us that we can survive and to actually help us survive. But that can't, to thrive, we have to like really go back to some of the aspirations of anarchism that that it's about openness and solidarity and confederation and borderless senses of like, you know, anyone that's on the same side of um, wanting to fight the forms of hierarchy and violence, structural violence that we see, you know, and, um, is like, we have to figure out how to do that together, you know, and far more than just anarchists. If we just rely on anarchists at this moment, we're, you know, that is not going to save cities who have no water supply now or yeah. those whole, whole, you know, countries that are underwater. It's like we, if we're just thinking anarchists are going to be the answer at this point. Anyone who's acting anarchistically has to be part of our stories and part of our practices. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I just, I really hope we can, you know, I hope this book inspires people. I really like creating books not as, again, like objects or commodity or uh, mm -hmm. is, is to open up people's imaginary and create people's, enthuse people to tell other stories and as an intervention to get us to think about like in what ways can we close ourselves off to possibility and to cracks and to, to each other and you know in what ways is this and I think with right now especially this three years I don't know there's been so much more brutal on us I think anything I can't realize for me so yeah I, I think I want to just say I hope that in, in, in the end I hope however people come to this book through some of the art that I know is just already circulating freely in the world hopefully some of the stories that are to you know spending some of your dollars to on this on this book which all which go back to support strangers um and it was a labor of love for everybody not not a, not a you know I, I like it wasn't for me a way to make money it's to put it back into supporting a really great collective who's putting out other great stories and the games and all sorts of other things and so like but i hope it's a, it becomes a gift however it comes to you to get you know you to open up and want to tell your stories and share other stories and make art that tells other stories and do it on walls and in spaces and in practice. You know, that's, that's why I do these things. Not, you know, of course I'm happy if it sits on your bookshelf, but it's not, <laughs> you know, and, and because I, I don't want us anarchists to, to forget like the liberatory sensibility within anarchism. Yeah. And I'm not saying anarchists is being fascist either, but we, we too are destroyed, but 
it's hard not to become destroyed by a time period you're living in when it's trying to break everybody. Yeah. And it's trying to break everybody. And so, yeah, I keep going back to the, the title <laughs> of the last anthology I just did, which is from a phrase that a rabbi wrote like three or 400 years ago. Um, there's nothing so whole as a broken heart. And yeah, so I hope this little book, Train or Gizm for Life, is, is really about letting us all know that it's okay to have a broken heart right now, but not to let that close you off to trying to be a whole person in, in whole communities um, that we try to make, like we actively all try to make together and, and not hope that someone's going to come from the outside to do that for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's probably about as much time as we have. Um, but I have one last little question. Um, are, are you a visual artist or do you mostly just write? I mostly write. I wish I was a visual artist. I do not good drawings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah if, you, if you follow me on social media, I post, I like to, love to uplift a lot of visual art on, this, on the streets um, mm-hmm. and changing the culture of how we think. But no, but look at this book has incredibly, um, like I said, 26 people who create incredible visual art. So there's also some incredibly beautiful circles. And I wish I was remotely as able to do that as other people. I can draw this circle with a heart around it, but that's about it. <laughs> cool. Um, just to, or if, the, if this is a not fun thing, um, would you, would you care to speculate if you were to design a, a circle of your own um, that if you, you knew how to draw or had a friend who was drawing it for you, what, what would you put in it? Oh yeah. I not I don't think I can answer that question. Um, I mean, originally, like that forward said, I just kind of did this as a like prompt on social media to encourage people to make art that was like the circle A to embody the beauty of what we believe in. And mm-hmm. I got so many people did it. And I only included like a small number of the ones that people shared with me because at some point I was like, I can't keep writing stories. <laughs> but, but, but they also became uses for me because I was like, oh, I hadn't thought wait, that's a different a- aspect of anarchism. So I think my answer would be like, I would just continually keep wanting to draw them because yeah. I would continually want to keep embodying different things I haven't thought about. And, you know, some of them involve like things from the non-human world or creatures from the non-human world or social forms of social relationship or forms of organizing or, you know, and maybe I would draw endless circle A's that endlessly spiral up to an endlessly <laughs> more beautiful world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's maybe my answer. What wonderful. Um, um, are you working on anything else right now? Is there anything that you want to shout out that is, um, like other other projects that are like up and coming. Um, I know you just wrote a, a foreword for for a book that's on pre-order right now. Yeah, Ren Rai is a great friend and a wonderful person and friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast and put together a phenomenal anthology on uh, nourishing resistance on um, food as the core of all sorts of things, social relationships, mutual aid, solidarity. Delicious eating. It's a great book, and I really feel very proud that uh, I'm happy that Ren asked me to write a forward. And um, yeah, and I'm trying to slowly but surely work on an anthology about anarcho feminism, but mostly it's storytelling about contemporary examples of people trying to put that into practice. So I'm not even sure, I don't care about the definition. I'm going to have a bunch of different stories, but try to show what that looks like when people do it in practice. So 
excited about that. But mostly I want to shout out because partially through that book, I am realizing I've been working on that for a year so far, that anthology, and have almost nothing to show for it. <laughs> because most of the people that do what would go under anarcho-feminism, uh, which would should just be anarchism, which is forms of like deep forms of making and sustaining life and deep forms of care and yeah, I think the things that we who are queer, trans, and feminists understand feel qualitatively different. Um, most of those people feel like what they do has no worth. They feel invisibilized. They feel like not able to share their stories. Mm-hmm. They feel like their projects have no worth. I've really been struck by that. It's like heartbreaking. So, so more than ever, I'm committed to those stories. And I was on a phone call yesterday with some, a small anarchist collective in. Uh, uh, Slovenia, and um, yeah, they were talking about the reason they decided they want to try to write a story for it is precisely that because they're like, you know, we started our project because we felt like we weren't seeing a larger anarchist scene, much less organizing. And we want, as awkward as it is, we want people to explain the process and what feels different about what we do, you know. Mm-hmm. So, a story, not they actually don't want to write about what they do, you know, the actions they've done and stuff. They want to write about what they focus on in terms of sustaining themselves to, in a way that feels different. But you know, I was talking to another collective in the, in the Philippines a couple of weeks ago and the same thing. And we're just like, it has felt so life-giving to form the space for ourselves and let us do work in ways that feel so much more what anarchism should be, you know? So, yeah. I know. I'm, 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 I'm more than ever seeing like, <clears throat> the power of space <clears throat> But the process to me of like hearing, I've, I've gotten to hear about a lot of projects now, and many of which don't feel capable of writing their stories, which just really hurts my heart. So, the last thing I want to shout out, <laughs> the last thing I want to shout out is just all of you out there who are doing exactly what you should be doing at this moment is like, you know, sustaining life, maintaining life, creating life, <laughs> um, circulating life, sharing life. Informed collective care and solidarity in feministic and queer ways and artistic ways. Like, I want us all to see each other, even if we all feel so insane. You know, we, we don't get yeah. um, a friend of mine who wrote a piece for this anarchist uh, feminist anthology said, You know, no one probably ever has written a story about the people who did dishes during the Paris Commune, but those are the people <laughs> I want to be friends with. You know? <laughs> Oh my god, I want to read that story. Someone <laughs> someone write that story. I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to shout out not what I'm doing, but all the practices we're all doing, you know, like we're all doing a lot that doesn't have an easy right now. It's making sure that a lot of us are spending a lot of time extending a lot of care to keep our spaces in ourselves and going in that more than ever is crucial, but more than ever doesn't have a name or a logo or it's like utterly what is anarchistic to me. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the the podcast and uh, I hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks so much for having me on the show. That was Cindy Barack Milstein with the prologue to their new book. You can find them on Instagram or Twitter at Cindy Milstein. Try Anarchism for Life will be out November 1st, though you can pre-order right now on our website, tangledwilderness.org. Pre-ordering really helps us do larger and cheaper print runs, 
So if you enjoyed hearing about the book, please consider getting a pre-ordered copy. It really helps out um, us, the publisher, and the author as well. If you do get a pre-order copy, we will include with it an assortment of Ex Libris book plates featuring the art from some of the 26 artists that created art for the book. They will only be available with the pre-order, so get them while you can. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go tell someone about it. Whisper its name in their ear, listen to it on a meandering walk, and maybe you'll find some nice graffiti about it under a bridge near your house. You can rate and review, and like and subscribe, or do whatever the algorithm calls for. Feed it like a hungry god. You could also post about the show or tell people in person. It's the main way that people hear about the show, and honestly, one of the best ways to support it. However, if you want to support us in other sillier ways that don't involve feeding a nameless and mysterious entity, consider supporting the show financially by subscribing to our Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon at $10 a month, we will mail to you a zine version of the pieces that you hear here every month, anywhere in the world. But also you can just read it for free on our website. You can also get access to an old archive of Strangers content, as well as discounts on things like t-shirts and books that we publish, including this one. Find us at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. Just to plug some other things that Strangers and, and Friends of Strangers have going on, uh, Margaret's new short story collection, We Won't Be Here Tomorrow, is currently out from AK Press. So check it out and look for her on book tour right now. A dear friend of the Strangers Collective also has a book out for pre-order, Nourishing Resistance, Stories of Food, Protest, and Mutual Aid, edited by Ren Arai, along with a foreword by Cindy Milstein. The pre-order is currently live at pmpress.org, so check it out. Ren is an incredible writer, editor, and archivist. We also have t-shirts um, available on the Strangers website. You can get both a Strangers t-shirt and a Live Like the World is Dying shirt. Both have art created by our art director, Robin Savage, and were printed by the Cream Print Shop in Tucson, Arizona, and are seriously just really soft and cozy and beautiful. That's all my plugs except for a very special series of shout-outs to these wonderful people who have helped, making, make, have helped make this podcast, as well as so many other projects possible. Theo, Hunter, Sean, SJ, Paige, Oxalis, Mickey, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Natalie, Kirk, Micaiah, Sam, Chris, and Haas the dog. Thank you so much for your support. It means so much to us and has allowed us to get so much done as a collective. And lastly, a lot of these features on the podcast come from listeners like you. So if you feel like a stranger that would like to find their story a home in this tangled wilderness, consider submitting it. Go ahead. Give it a try. Next month, we have a bit of a break in our format. The feature for October is a comic by a Strangers Collective member, Io Iscarium. We unfortunately will not have an audio feature since it's a, you know, mostly wordless comic. Um, but we will have a fun interview with Io about comics and other cool stuff. Stay well. We hope you come back. <laughs>